228. I want to minister this morning from... Uh, the Chapter 28. I want to uh, share from this passage of Scripture that is from the, uh, the theme of resurrection and the commissioning of the church in the preaching of the gospel. And so if you want to uh, turn there with me, I want to read that entire chapter uh, this morning. I was thinking as I was uh, preparing this message concerning a film that uh, was made in Hollywood a number of years ago, and we've shown it here entitled The Greatest Story That Was Ever Told. And uh, in, in that, I was thinking that Hollywood recognized the potential for human interest and impact, and so uh, Hollywood always wanting to make money. They know that when you make money, you want to draw people into a theater with a story that uh, makes impact and has human interest. And so they made a film of the life of Jesus Christ. And uh, incidentally, it is a very excellent film. Uh, if you ever have opportunity to view it, you need to view it. But uh, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking that indeed it is the greatest story that has ever been told. However, the key to it being the greatest story ever told is that people tell it. And though it is the greatest story ever told, Jesus' birth, death, resurrection, his ascension, his coming again, the greatest story ever told, that that story will never be told unless the people whose lives have been transformed by it We'll take the good news, and just like these people that we've heard reports from this morning, throughout the, the streets and the cities and the nations of the world, we'll dare to take the message at its face value and go forth with transformed lives and present that story to those who have not heard it. And so the key this morning is telling it. And I want to minister from this entire passage of Scripture, a sermon I believe that will bless you from the Word of the Lord if you follow there. I want to read that entire passage of Scripture. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. Now, Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. They've sealed the tomb with a stone, and they put soldiers there to guard uh, that tomb. Came Mary Magdalene and uh, the other Mary to see the sepulcher, and behold... There was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning and his raiments white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not you, for I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I've told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet, and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren 
that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say you, his disciples came by night and stole him away while he slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, he'll persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's a tremendous story. Out of this story, I want to examine with you for a moment the uh, understanding of the human sense of value. Now, you and I will invest this morning in what we value the most. I was uh, thinking about this, and, and I was reading recently about, uh, in Time Magazine or Newsweek, about uh, art auctions, and they become very popular. and began to tell about uh, art auctions and, uh, and uh, the prices of paintings. And there's one painting there that uh, was a painting with a pair of crimson lips. The name of this painting is Crimson Lips, and it's suspended over a landscape. And I can't remember, but uh, roughly it seems to me that painting sold for $750,000. And I thought it looked yucky. <laughs> but the moral of that is, is that the price of many of these paintings, and many of these paintings sell for vast sums of money, preposterous sums. But the prices that are paid for many of these paintings are secondary to their actual worth. The value is not determined by what the painting itself is worth, but the value is determined by the price that these people are prepared to pay because of the desire that they have to possess the painting. And many men will send agents there, and they will say to them, We want the painting. We don't care what you have to pay for it. We want the painting. You secure it. And many wealthy people secure paintings because there's no limit to what they'll pay, and the actual value of the painting has no relationship to what it's worth. See, we'll invest in what we think has worth. I read not long ago about somebody bought a bottle of wine for nearly $15,000. There's never any... Listen, I can tell you, I, was, I wasn't saved till I was 25. There never was a bottle of wine ever made worth $15,000. I don't care where it came from or how long it's been there. You read once in a while about auctions. And uh, they have these livestock shows, and a blue ribbon steer will sell for uh, a, a mind-boggling sum. Not because the meat is worth that much, but because it's a champion steer, and some elegant restaurant purchases it and advertises it 
uh, that they are serving it in their restaurant. And so it's good advertising. And because it is a champion, it has a worth that bears no relationship to a pound of meat. So we will invest this morning in what we deem as worth. And we know that the Scripture says where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. But the exact reverse of that also is true. Where a man's heart is, there will his treasure be also. And so here we have an astounding story. Look at this story. This is one of the most amazing stories that is in Scripture. Here's an astounding fact. The Bible says that when the news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and these events, the appearance of the angel, the roaring, uh, rolling away of the stone, uh, and these things came to pass, uh, that the soldiers uh, carried the news into the council and the religious in the governing segment of the city, and the Bible says they gave large money to them and said to them, If anybody asks you, you say that his disciples stole his body away and we'll take care of the Roman government. Don't worry about that. But they gave them large money. And the astounding fact is not that they gave them large money, but the astounding fact is they gave them uh, this huge amount of money to propagate what they knew to be a lie. Isn't that astounding truth? that people will invest in what they deem to be worthwhile. See, these people had a reputation that was threatened. Their position and their influence were threatened by the story, the greatest story that has ever been told. And this morning, as that, uh, that is there, that they knew that if the truth came out, their position and their influence would be weakened and undermined and threatened. And so they gave large money a huge sum of money to secure that the truth would be suppressed and that a lie would be told. Our world is filled this morning with paradoxes. Here's Morris, the finicky cat that advertises cat food. He earns more than most preachers earned last year. Did you know that Americans give more this morning for dog and cat food than they give for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I was reading about a large denomination in America. It has several million members. It's the largest in the United States. And its membership gave an average of $107.78 per capita for the spread of the gospel. Americans give more for the purchasing of dog and cat food to keep their pets alive than they give for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We spend every year in America $21,700,000,000 a year just for alcoholic beverages. Out of 41 major denominations in America, the richest nation in the world, only $5 billion is given for the spread and the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Overnight, 
If you would take that which was spent and the vast stores of grain that went to, to, to manufacture alcohol and send it into the needy areas of the world to feed the hungry, immediately you would reverse the trend just from taking alcoholic beverages and doing away with that, taking the grain and feeding people instead of booze hounds. See, there's so many paradoxes in life. Here we say we are a Christian nation, and I guarantee you that many of the people that I'm talking about all of these things this morning call themselves Christian and have in their, in their homes a Bible or members of some kind of church or some kind of organization, but the Bible declares very plainly a, a poignant truth, and that is that where our heart is, there will be our treasure also. These people felt that this suppression of this lie, of this truth rather, and telling of a lie was worthwhile, and because they felt it was worthwhile, they were willing to invest vast sum of money to accomplish its purpose. And so we see this morning this tremendous facet of human nature, and that facet is we invest in what we feel is worthwhile. It is an axiom of life. Whatever you feel is worthwhile, we'll get your investment this morning. If it's alcohol, that's where it'll be. If it's material possessions, that's where it will be. If it is in pleasure, that's where it will be. In America, we spend $82 billion uh, simply for recreation and recreation vehicles uh, and recreational equipment, handball equipment, golf clubs, uh, tennis rackets, uh, basketballs, baseballs, baseball gloves. Uh, we spend $82 billion uh, just to have some pleasure in life. And so we'll invest this morning in what we think is worthwhile. These men invested in a lie because they felt that a lie would propagate their interest, secure their position, and cause them to be able to continue as they were. And it is an essence of human nature that that's what we will do. Can you say amen? Secondly, I want you to see from this passage of Scripture a satanic strategy. See, most people this morning understand the brazen, outrageous operations of the enemy in many areas. I was talking with Brother Larry Neville. Pastor Neville was telling about being in Tarandrum, southern India. And as he was there, there was a new temple being built in that area and was finished as he was there. Now, this temple was being built, a heathen temple, in the midst of abject poverty. And yet this temple was one of the most beautiful things you'd want to see. cost $10 million, uh, had in it a uh, golden guild, uh, and had in it an idol, uh, and this idol was golden gilded. Much of the temple was bejeweled. And is in the midst of outrageous poverty. And to this golden idol that was there, poor peasants brought sometimes their families had saved for years and years for them to make this pilgrimage and would bring as high as 10,000 rupees, which was a vast fortune for these poverty-stricken people, would bring it there and lay it at the feet of this golden idol that damned their souls and held them in bondage. And we understand that. We say, that's a devil. Yes, that is a devil. And we understand that. 
This morning, if you and I went into Las Vegas uh, and we saw the outrageous uh, iniquity and ungodliness that is there, we saw people in the gaming tables uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, it is one of the uh, is one of the areas of the world vast sums of money beyond our understanding uh, cross uh, and change hands, uh, and the proprietors of those gambling uh, gambling institutions have wealth beyond our even grasp. Just what they steal out of their that they don't give to the government would stagger your mind. And we understand that. See, that's a devil. That's right. That's his strategy. His strategy is to hook people in religion. I was reading in a magazine on an aircraft I was flying one time that one was flying into Pakistan, and as the aircraft went down the valley to land, he passed no less than 11 golden gilded idol temples uh, on the way to the landing field uh, on the horizon. He passed 11 of these uh, and their gold was shining in the sunlight and yet Pakistan is one of the poorest nations on earth if not the poorest uh, at just poverty that would just make it cry. And that's the devil's strategy. Can you say amen? When we talk about the occult uh, we understand that this is the devil's strategy. We have uh, some $200 million a year in America that is spent on astrology and the forecasting of horoscope. There are two million Ouija boards uh, in America that are purchased. You can rent a witch uh, for only $200 a night. We'll come in and give you your own private session. And so most people understand the brazen, outrageous, operations of the enemy and have no problem recognizing that this is indeed the devil's strategy to hold in bondage, to strip the uh, necessities of life from people, to hold them in fear and to hold them in bondage. But I want you to know that the satanic strategy can only be understood as we understand his strategy is the diversion of resources. Gave large money for the propagation of a lie. See, it doesn't, it seems like there's no amount of money that is, that is, uh, that is too preposterous a uh, uh, price to pay to damn souls to eternal damnation. Doesn't seem like it, it matters. You can get a lie, a false cult, a false religion that will damn people's souls, and they're buying mansions, they're wealthy beyond understanding, and this just flourishes, and it seems like that is no price too great to pay for that. There's an old story told that you'll recognize, but it would be very fitting at this moment to tell it. The devil is in the councils uh, of hell. He's worried about this gospel of Jesus Christ because uh, people are being saved. Lives are being transformed. Hope is coming into the heart, just like our little sister Francine talked. Uh, she worked among people and found no ability to help these people, and her heart ached. And now she has an answer. And so the devil is talking with his legions of demons, and he says, we've got to stop this gospel somehow. Up in Prescott, Arizona, Tucson and Flagstaff and Stainvike, calling these places, people are hearing the gospel. We've got to stop this. How are we going to do this? One demon said, I know how we're going to do it. Let's tell them uh, that, the, that, that the gospel's not true. Jesus did not die on the cross of Calvary. It's all a big lie. Let's tell them what these soldiers told. It's a lie. No, the devil said, that won't work. Because there's going to be some people who will believe it. 
because the human heart just naturally reaches out for an answer and for a hope. And when you talk about the love of God, it's just too much. They'll believe. Someone else said, I tell you what, let's tell them. Let's go down and tell mankind and these people that are in these churches and around that the Bible is just filled with contradictions. You can't believe it. It's archaic and outdated and irrelevant. Let's tell them that. No, the devil said that won't work. That won't work because too many people will investigate for themselves and they'll find out it's true. Another one came up, another demon, and said, I know what. I've got the answer. The devil said, what is it? He said, let's tell them the Bible's true. Let's tell them that the gospel is true. That's all right. Let them believe that. But let's tell them we've got plenty of time to get saved and to get people saved. That's it, the devil said. That's the answer. That's what we will do. You see, this morning when we begin to think about this, when we begin to say that we cannot serve God and serve mammon, we begin to think about this, we begin to say in our minds, uh, well, I'm not a servant of mammon. What is mammon? A servant of money. Well, I don't serve money. Dear God, I can hardly get enough to pay my bill from payday to payday. Smile at me now. Amen. Getting really down where you live now, isn't it? Amen. So you can always tell when you're hitting home, people start shouting and stop shouting and waving their hands and start looking real somber. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so we have this idea that uh, what that really means has no relationship to us, uh, but the real strategy of the truth, uh, you cannot serve God and mammon, links into the story that I've just told you about the devil and his legions of demons. And his strategy is not, don't give. His strategy is, it's okay to give, but I want you to give later. Did you hear what I said? It's okay to give. You should give. Matter of fact, you'll sit there and say, you ought to give. You ought to really give. This is a good idea to give to God, but not now. See, that's what it means to serve mammon. That's a part of the devil's strategy. His strategy is the diversion of resources, and his strategy is rather than get you to invest in the truth, he will cause you to pause in that, he will cause you to deviate from that, and so that you will not invest in the truth, he can get you to invest in a lie. Because becoming a servant of mammon doesn't mean not giving, it means that you're just going to give sometime in the future in an un. Uh, in an unspecified day. See, there's a lot of things that happen in America and in fluent nations that cause people to serve mammon and they think they're the best Christians that ever walked. Wealthy people will sell a property and instead of receiving that income, they've been making too much income, they take deferred payments so that they'll fit in an income tax bracket. And conveniently, I found this as a pastor. I've I've pastored 20 years, so you just look me right straight in the eye. I know people. Conveniently, they aren't found when it comes time 
for payment to the kingdom of God. The payment for the kingdom of God is the day you sell it. Thank you, Jesus. Hello, Walls. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Businessmen. Let me tell you, as many business people in business in this congregation, and I have a sneaking suspicion that some are visiting this morning, although I don't know for sure, but I just kind of feel by the way I've been led to preach, I didn't know you are coming, so here it comes. <laughs> Businessmen. They draw a, a stipend from their business. That'll be uh, uh, what is convenient to income tax uh, lawyers. And it's a nominal sum that enables them to live. Meanwhile, their investments grow, their inventories grow, uh, their uh, uh, capital grows, uh, their tax shelter grows, uh, their corporation investment grows, uh, and so on and so forth. And they feel very smug that they're drawing $300 a week and paying tithe off of that, giving in to church, uh, and they're giving $30 a week, and just very smug that they're serving God and stealing Him blind. Thank you, Jesus. Did you hear what I said? Stealing him blind. Oh, well, uh, this is all in the business. I know, and God is auditing that business. Ooh, I can tell I'm on the right track this morning. Then we'll read this scripture in, uh, in Luke uh, about the rich fool and say, Man, that's terrible. Build bigger barns and... And, uh, and meanwhile, your investments and your tax shelters and your business inventory are growing larger and you're having to build bigger barns uh, and you don't even recognize yourself on the pages of Scripture. Well, moving on. I'm talking about the diversion of resources. To serve mammon doesn't mean that you say, I'm not going to give. It means uh, that you say, I'm going to give, but I'm not going to give now. <laughs> oh, glory. It's getting nervous in here now. Well, let's move on to another subject. Diversion of resources. Parachurch organizations and super churches. See, we have this idea in the generation in which we live that the people that are really doing something are the people that make the most noise. You find that uh, a lot of the people that make the most noise are doing the least. I was watching one of these fellows on television. He was trying to identify with the common people, and he had a worker's helmet on, and he, he's a, he just knows just when to cry. Oh, he can just he can turn those tears on. And he was given a shout of praise. Oh, thank God, he said, uh, where our missionary program's going, Thailand has opened up for television. And I'm sitting and watching that jackass on television. There's not enough TV sets in Thailand to even worry about. They can't afford them. There's no TV sets in the Philippines uh, to make it worthwhile for your satellite. There's not enough television set in the entire third world for you to worry about evangelism because they can't even afford to buy the cord to plug it in. And there's ignorant Americans that are sitting around listening. Oh, the poor heathen. Oh, send some money to old crybaby. And he's going to send it over. And he's going to evangelize the masses. Any wonderful Thailand is going to have a TV program. I'm talking about the diversion of resources 
Are you with me? See, God has always used the local church. He always will use the local church. The local church, uh, sink or swim, live or die, fail or have victory, is God's plan for the evangelism of the world. And it always has been, always will be. It is the local church that God places the responsibility for the evangelism of the masses. He has not changed his mind, nor will he change his mind. Well, let's talk about easy credit. Diversion of resources. What am I talking about? I'm talking about they gave large money to propagate a lie. You know, it's so easy to get credit. All you have to do is just sign on the dotted line. You like this? Don't you like this? How many of you like this? Come on now. How many of you really like this? Amen. All you have to do is just sign on the dotted line. And it's only going to cost $10 more a month. And what's $10 more a month? Anybody could afford $10 more a month. Can't we? Not that many. You can. You know you can. You do it every week. Easy credit. Your your uh, uh, wherewithal has reached its limit generally for the average family about eighteen or twenty to thirty dollars a week more than their ability to pay. They're involved with Sears and Roebuck, J C Penney, uh, C I T, uh, Valley Bank. And you know, you know, you know those folks. How many of you know those folks? Yeah, I can see they were acquainted. And so there comes the responsibility that comes for the gospel, and uh, you begin to uh, be in a service like I'm going to preach about this morning, and an, uh, an invitation is given for you to invest in the gospel, and you can see the fruit. You can see Rudy and Francine, thank God for testimony. You can see, hear about Frank Amato's down and what a glorious thing's transpiring there over in Alamogordo, New Mexico. And you can hear these reports and you're moved. You say, man, that's, uh, I want to invest in that. But when you start to write your commitment down, wife punches you and say, what are you doing? So it's only $10 more a month. Say, but we've already overextended 50 and so you cannot respond. And then we read this scripture back in Luke that says these words, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And we'll read those things and say, well, I wonder what that means. Well, what that means is that when you feel like you ought to give and God's really dealing with you to give, you can't give because you can't afford to give. You're too tied up with easy credit. Isn't that profound? Isn't that really deep this morning? I mean, that is really deep. Well, let me move on to completion. 
We've got a challenge this morning. And that challenge is before us in the Word of God. See, the gospel's true. Listen to the Apostle John. He expresses what's in our own hearts and the feeling that we feel for the gospel of Christ. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. Peter says, we've not followed, cunningly devised fables when we declared unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Here's the gospel. This is the greatest story ever told. Here's the truth, uh, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and God knows the world is filled with sinners. As He came into the world, uh, He spoke the words of God's eternal life. He healed the sick, uh, cast out devils, raised the dead, uh, blessed the widow, ministered miracles unto humanity, and died on Calvary's cross, uh, paying the debt for every sinner that would ever live. Secured for us a salvation that is unshakable. Secured for us an acceptance before God so that we, coming as sinners, might come before God and have our sins washed away. And he died on Calvary. And the Bible says he shed his blood and gave up the ghost. And they buried him in a cruel tomb. Upon the third day he was raised from the dead. And we have the events written in the Scripture. And as he was raised from the dead, he ascended up on high. And he rules and reigns forever. And he is coming again. And the Scripture declares that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the apostles saw him on the Mount of Olives. As he stood conversing with him, and he said to them, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel unto every creature. As they watched him, the, he, was, he just transcended. He just, he, just went, he just went right up. And they stood with their eyes boggling out. And angels stood and nudged him and said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye looking up into heaven? This same Jesus that you've seen go will come again. So here we have the gospel, and we know that that gospel is true. As I preach Wednesday night, there's more evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead than that Columbus ever lived or ever sailed the ocean, much less discovered the new world. And so we are preaching this morning a gospel truth. How wonderful is that song that we sang this morning? How lovely on the mountains are the feet of them that bring good news and proclaim the gospel of peace. So here's the challenge then to the church. Listen carefully to me as I conclude. The challenge to the church then is to propagate that truth. Go, Jesus said, and teach all nations. Now this is our marching orders. This is the primary mission of the church. This is the primary mission of every believer. This is the primary mission of every congregation. Foremost, first and foremost, above anything else in life, above everything, is our responsibility to the commission that he gave us. And we read in the Scripture, Go and disciple all nations. And so we, here we have this truth. And we have this truth that we're to go and disciple all nations in this truth of his death and of his resurrection and of his forgiveness and of eternal life received when we accept him as our Savior. 
There's three keys this morning to harvest. Those three keys are, first of all, workers. Jesus said, pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, he'll thrust out labors into his harvest. The second key is time. We know that unless there are people, satellites are not commissioned to preach the gospel. Thank God for any good that they do and praise God for any good, any radio or any television. But it is not God's primary method for the preaching of the gospel. The primary method is disciples. And the second factor that is the key to harvest is timing. Time, as we preached recently, is not something that runs forever. It's not something we hold in our hands. It is something that we are obligated to. There is a time and an opportunity that is given to preach, and that time may soon be past. In Mexico, just this past month, they have excluded all gospel radio stations. They had earlier in the year excluded all radio advertising for gospel uh, programs. And now they've excluded all gospel programs from Mexico. Some of them have been on as high as 30 years continuously, but they've excluded them by order of the presidential decree from Mexico. What we are doing in Mexico uh, may at one day be critical on whether we responded to the moment and uh, next year we may not have the opportunity, but thank God we've got workers in Mexico. We may not always have that opportunity, and so the second factor that's critical is time. And the third thing that's critical to harvest, and this goes without saying, is money. The key to workers and the key to time is even money. And this is always so. Are you following me this morning? You can have a worker, and Larry was speaking this morning. He was an evangelist before he came into our fellowship. He went to many places in many parts of the world preaching the gospel, and he saw keen young couples uh, like Rudy and uh, Francine, but they never had the opportunity to ever have anyone invest in them, and they had no direction, and as a consequence, their lives will be unfruitful in the kingdom of God because what needs to be done could not be done. There are many times that it is an opportune time for the preaching of the gospel. Doors are open. At the moment, China is open a great deal to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's an opportunity at this moment. But one day, I fear that that opportunity will not be with us. And this opportunity just simply hinges on the whims of political decision. And, and one day it can be right, and the next day it's wrong. And so time uh, is something that is critical. And if the opportunity is there, but the money is not there, the opportunity is lost. I was thinking this past week, and I shudder when I think about this. There's a man that's doing a campaign called the Here's Life Campaign. He's honest-hearted and earnest in his endeavors. He did another campaign formerly, which statistics will declare that was certainly not worthwhile for the vast expense of finances. He calls this Here's Life campaign, and his intentions are to raise a group of people that are wealthy businessmen in America, that are of Christian uh, background, uh, and from each of these men to uh, get pledges of $1 million for his program, Here's Life campaign, and he intends to raise $1 billion for his program. Uh, I just shudder when I think about it. I'm a friend, a billion dollars is a lot of bucks. 
A billion dollars? Is dollar bills stacked one upon the other? Stacked one upon the other that will reach to the moon and back to the earth? That's a billion dollars. That's a lot of bread, even at inflation rates. Here's a couple of donors among the many that he's soliciting. One is Bunker Hunt, one of the wealthiest men in the world. Another is T. Cullen Davis in Texas. And so you would have the idea that it's the wealthy that are able to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not true, never has been true, and never will be true. See, there's something about wealthy people. They really like to give where they get recognition. They like to have a little plate or their name on a chest in Tulsa or a little recognition. They just like to have their name up where people can see what they are. I want to tell you that the widow's might has more power for the gospel of Jesus Christ and will go further in the kingdom of God than the wealth of the many riches of the multitudes that call themselves Christians. Man, I tell you something, God's doing some work somewhere this morning. I can feel this coming. We're believers this morning. Stay with me for a moment. We need to arise to the challenge that is before us. And we do understand that the key to the propagation of anything is large money. I don't care if it's a propagation of a lie, propagation of a false religion, propagation of whatever it is. The key to the propagation of anything is large money. We understand that. But it's not the millionaires, my friend, that's going to make the gospel of Jesus Christ go. It's little people that are saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, love God, see a vision for souls. And Paul was speaking to some of these little people in 2 Corinthians 8, 8, and he says, I'm taking this opportunity to prove the sincerity of your love. I'm talking about the challenge to the church. Go and teach all nations. Now, we're talking about a vast task. We're talking about reaching beyond our ability, reaching into... When we start reaching beyond, as we start to send Don and Liz McPherson into Germany, it's not like starting a church down in Wickenburg. We're talking about heavy bucks. I'm talking about big money. Just the basics. If Don can find a building and get open, and, and this is just an educated guess because the factors are not there, my guess would be if we can just find a building and get that building open and begin to work in that building with various activities this year, we're talking about, all told, something like $50,000. Are you still with me? I lost somebody right there. See, we spent somewhere around $70,000 or more in Australia and Perth, but in 13 months we had a throbbing, thriving congregation that is winning soul and uh, is probably the strongest uh, work uh, in the four square churches in Western Australia today. I'll just throw this in for you. Don was talking to some of our missionary personnel and, uh, and leadership, and they're good people, but they're just 30 years behind time. And so they were saying to him, Don, it's just really great that you're going uh, with our organization now. And in two, three, or four years now, uh, if, you, if, you, if you're faithful, you're just really fortunate. We'll, we'll, we'll see about getting you a car. <laughs> now, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's exciting, boy. 
Meanwhile, you just ride a bus, I guess, or walk. Can you imagine living in, a, in the midst of a throbbing city where the gospel is beginning to make impact in our kind of uh, ministry? I'm talking, you know, you can, you can rat hole up in a hole in a wall somewhere and do your little Bibles. I'm talking about evangelism. I'm talking about the highways and the hedges. I'm talking about teens. I'm talking about reaching. And here you are, holed up back there, and in four years you say, Oh, God, help me to be faithful. I'm going to get a car. And Don said, Well, uh, sir, <clears throat> the church in Prescott is going to buy me a car. Oh, 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 well. <clears throat> it's unheard of. See, this is a jetty. <clears throat> you know, I mean, but we're going we're gonna to walk with the gospel. I'm talking about large money. Well, let's nail this down for a moment this morning. Here's the challenge to the churches to go into all the world. And what I'm talking about this morning is world evangelism on the installment plan. See, we need lots of money. We're not a Germany's just one place that we've got our foot in the water. We'll need probably $1,500 a month just for one work in Mexico to see it done properly and to see the impact made for probably the most of this year. We're involved in the United States in planting churches that have become very fruitful in many places, but we're not going to stop. We may launch another one next week in Phoenix or somewhere. Who knows what God's going to do? Amen. I'm talking about large money. And I'm talking about, and you're sitting there saying, well, bless God, who's got money in this congregation now? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's got money. Uh, yeah, if we can just get that old skin flint to cut loose, he'll cut loose. That's why he's got money. He's going to die and leave it to all of his unsaved relatives to pick the bones. Well, I'm preaching about imaginary figures. I'm talking about evangelism on the installment plan. And so this morning, when I begin to talk about large money, I'm talking about $50,000. It doesn't even relate to you at all. You can't even think in those terms. If you can just barely get the, get the tire on the car and get that paid for, you think that's a victory for the month. And I understand that. I live in that world. But I'm talking about on the installment plan. See, we think nothing about the washing machine breaks down, and so there's nothing to be done for it. The, the dog has been shaking and rattling on the back porch for years anyway, and we've been expecting this to come along. And sure enough, it came, and we didn't have no money. But we went down to Sears and Sawbuck, and sure enough, they had a sale on down there, and they said, all you need is to sign on the dotted line. And you just make those payments, and it just cost you $18.37 a month for the next... <laughs> and you say to Honeydew, Honeydew, is that the washing machine you want? And Honeydew says, yep. So you just sign on the dotted line. You say, deliver it this afternoon, and they haul it out, and you start making those payments. Now, you understand that, don't you? Because you live in that world. I'm talking about evangelizing the world 
by installment. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. I want no one moving around for a moment. I'd like Christians seeking God for a moment while we pause in the presence of the Lord. How wonderful is the gospel of the Son of God. It's the greatest story ever told. Christ left the alabaster palaces of heaven, the golden streets of glory, left the beauties of the heavenly kingdom, came into a sin-darkened, cursed world to seek and to save the lost, ministered to those that were needy, loved the unlovely, healed the sick, blessed the needy, went to Calvary's cross and there died on a bloody Roman cross to suffer in your place and pay the debt that you owe to God for sins that are more scarlet than you'd ever want anyone to even understand or know. They're so horrible and so rending to your conscience in guilt. And he paid that debt on Calvary's cross. His love motivated him, his concern for you. But not only for you, he died for the millions in Mexico, for the millions in Europe, he died for the billions in the Orient. It's the greatest story that's ever been told. And it's so simple that a child can understand it and enter into eternal life. It is so simple that many times people who do not even fully understand the language yet feel the spirit of the love of God and God's redeeming grace and give their heart to Jesus Christ and are born into newness of life. It's so simple that it can be translated to the most primitive native and they will understand. And yet it is so powerful and so profound that the greatest sinner can be saved for eternity by simply calling upon the name of the Lord. So powerful that the most uh, despicable drunkard can be instantly transformed. So powerful that the heaviest heronity can be gloriously transformed and changed and become like a new creature in a moment's time. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it can save you. While we're sitting here for a moment, I wonder how many people in this congregation would say to me, Pastor, I don't fully understand everything that you said this morning, but I do understand one thing. I need God. My heart is not right. I feel guilt. I feel the crimson stain of my own sin. I feel the awful hopelessness, the awful helplessness, the awful agony of my own condemnation. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a just man on the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. There's none righteous, no, not one. And there are people in this building this morning that are not saved, but you can make Christ your Savior before we close this service. Before I change the order, I wonder how many with uplifted hands say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need God. All over the building, I'm going to change the order of the service in just one moment. Would you quickly take this opportunity and say, Pastor, I need God. I'm not saved. I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm not asking you to sign any kind of creed. I'm asking you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Would you lift that hand for a moment while we're seated, seated here? How many would there be all over this building? Lift your hand, say, Preacher, I'm a backslider, I'm an unsaved man, an unsaved woman, but I want God to come into my life. Would you lift your hand? I'm going to change the order of the service in a moment. All over this building, amen. All over this building, amen. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We have a need this morning in the kingdom of God. The key is workers. 
opportunity, and money. And I wonder, while our heads are bowed this morning and God is dealing with you as an individual, if you respond to God's love and grace, we can see where our money is being invested. We can see what impact is being made for the kingdom of God. We send guerrilla teams. We send workers. We finance workers. We do not invest our money in buildings. We invest our money in workers. We oftentimes have to have buildings for... Uh, when the congregation grows to that part, but that's a secondary thing. Our investment is in workers that preach the gospel. And while you're sitting there this morning, I want you to make a decision. Now, I'm not talking about your tithe. You owe God the tenth of your income without any question. That belongs to Him. It's holy. If you touch it, He'll judge you for it. I'm not talking about that this morning. I'm talking about a commitment that you'd make to God for outreach and evangelism and church planting. We have vast responsibilities in this assembly, but we have a powerful and a glorious God. Any pledge that you may have made in the past, I want you to just forget about that this morning. And I want you to begin to open to God for what God's going to do right now. Mid the losses and the gains, mid the pleasures and the pains, and the hopings and the fears, and the restlessness of years, we repeat this promise, or we believe it more and more, bread upon the waters cast shall be gathered at the last. Gold and silver like the sands will keep slipping through our hands, jewels gleaming like a spark will be hidden in the dark. Sun and moon and stars will pale, but these words will never fail. Bread upon the waters cast shall be gathered at the last. Soon, like dust to you and me, will our earthly treasures be, but the loving word indeed to another in his need. They will unforgotten be. They will live eternally. Bread upon the waters cast shall be gathered at the last. Fast the moments slip away, soon our mortal powers decay. Low and lower sinks the sun, what we do must soon be done. Then what rapture if we hear, thousand voices ringing clear, bread upon the waters cast, shall be gathered at the last. I want you to make a decision this morning concerning an amount that in the next six months you'll give specifically designated for outreach ministry. It may be $10 a week, $5 a week, 